So uh, Zoe Chapala, uh, welcome to the journey. Um, let me just explain just a little bit about what the journey is. The journey is um, just a show of having some ordinary people on, um, on to explain a little bit about their own story. Maybe the aspects of some obstacle may have been in their way at some point or um, how they had overcame that obstacle or how they've transformed from that. Maybe life was going in one way and then an obstacle obstacle gets in the way and then finding out that that obstacle ends up being a teacher and then um what what they may have learned from that and how that contributed to who they are today so um so zoe welcome uh thank you so, for having me yeah not a problem so uh so i guess i should first ask are you from the i know you're working right now in the rockford area but and you're going to school down at illinois state um, which is which is my alumni. That's where I did my undergraduate work a uh, long time ago. Uh, but uh, are you from Rockford? I actually am. I'm from, I was born in Rockford, and then I actually went to high school in Rockton, Illinois. Oh, but sure. now, yeah, so now I'm doing a lot of work in Rockford, and yeah. So you graduated, so from Hananiga Indians. Yes, yes, uh, class okay. of 2017. Okay, <laughs> all right. And um, and so that's the same. That's my daughter graduated from Guilford uh, uh, in 2017. So okay. when, you, when you were at Hananiga, what what type of activities were you involved with, and what did you like to do then? I was a theater kid. <laughs> oh really? I did, yeah, I did. I did a lot of singing. Um, I did all of the musicals there, and then I participated in theater outside of school as well. Um, okay. But I liked, yeah, doing all the national anthem stuff like that. Um, that was really fun for me. Sure. Okay. So we're going to totally get sidetracked here, but so what was the, what was the community theater that you were involved with? I was doing stuff with um, the studio in Rockford. And then I was also doing some community projects over in Beloit as well. Oh, okay. All right. So my, so Sierra, my daughter has been involved with community theater since she was eight years old. And so oh, wow. she was, she was with uh, Christian youth theater, uh, okay. CYT and then gateway performing arts. And then she was with, uh, or is with starlight now. So those are the main ones that she was involved with. So, so then, you know, cross Nelson. I do. I do. Yeah. yeah we went to school together. Yep. So, <laughs> so Sierra and cross are really good friends and, and I, uh, Cross's parents um, went to Jefferson High School when I was at Harlem, and so oh, okay. we. And then my wife and in uh, lawyer are really good friends, so uh, so they're a great bunch. And there's some a lot of talented individuals out of um, out of Hanania when it comes to the theater. So oh, for sure, for sure. So um, so what what well while we're there, so what made you get into theater? What was that all about? How did that all come about? Getting into theater. Well, I think I've always had uh, a big personality, a little bit of um, strong opinions here and there. Okay. <laughs> so theater, theater was a very good way for me to express that. Um, I was also uh, pretty social and I just really liked to sing and being around all of those people who also were interested in the same things that I was made it a really great environment for me to blossom, I guess, sure. into my fullest potential. Gotcha. Now, uh, is there somebody in your family that was involved with theater, or you were the first no. one in the family? Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. <laughs> so that's it. That's a, my wife's an artist, but uh, Sierra was the first performing artist in our family. So, so very, very similar experience. So. Yeah. Um, no. So, do you have a favorite? Uh, I know that it's it's hard to pick, but if there was a favorite role that you played or a favorite show that you were in, what would what would be the favorite favorite role or favorite show you were in? 
So I was Percy in the Spitfire Grill, and that was a really awesome experience for me because before I was playing characters with not a lot of substance, and okay. this character required a little bit more empathy from me and a little bit more compassionate understanding. The um, experiences that this character went through was nothing that I've ever experienced in my life. So it was a challenge for me to put myself in the shoes of this character and pull it off. But um, I'd like to think that I did a pretty good job. I'd like to think I did a pretty good job of doing it. I okay. learned a lot from the directors there and I feel like I really grew in now, that regard. So what year was that? That was at Hanunigga, right? That actually was with um, Beloit Community Theater. Oh, Beloit, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, and, or it's Beloit Civic Theater actually. But um, yeah, that was, I think it was my sophomore year of high school. No, I'm sorry. Uh, it was my junior year of high school. Okay. And so that was, that was really awesome. So, so just to, cause that, that I'm not super familiar with that, that particular musical. So tell us a little bit about that, that character. And then, then also tell us a little bit about how did you do work on the character development? Cause you said it stretched you out of your own normal comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So I went in there, I had gotten a call from someone who was like, Hey, like there's going to be auditions. They haven't cast the part of the main character. You should just go try out. And I was like, okay. I've never been someone to just turn down an experience. Like I'll try anything once. Sure, and so sure. I kind of just walked in there and was like, okay, like let's, let's see what this is all about. <laughs> and um, I got there and it ended up being a musical about um, a woman who actually served time in jail because she had murdered her stepfather. Um, he had impregnated her, he had raped her and she had gotten pregnant with uh, his child and he was a drunk and it was, a, a big thing, but it was mainly like he was abusing her, uh, sexually abusing her. And finally she was just like, that's it. It was a self-defense thing, but she still had to serve time in prison. She got out of prison and then um, she went on to a little town and was trying to rebuild her life, but doing it as a deviant of society. Cause you know, coming into, you know, exiting out into society after you've spent time in jail, you obviously have like a chip on your shoulder. So first of all, I've never been to jail. Um, I haven't been sexually abused. Um, nothing like that has ever happened to me. So there was a scene, um, where she was talking about, she was opening up about her experience and what happened. Um, and it was basically about her coming to terms with, um, her relationship with God and also just her situation in general. And, um, it was a really beautiful scene but the director was like we really want you to cry and like show more emotion really put yourself in the shoes of this character and it was hard for me because like I mean I just I've never had those experiences and so um I don't know I think when I was up there performing um and I was really starting to process the lyrics and like what it meant to this character something just kind of came over me and I was able to actually produce real tears and it yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was, I think that was when I kind of decided, like, I really want to use my voice for something, mm -hmm. not even just singing, but just something to like bring awareness right. <laughs> to have a platform. Well, you know, you said something interesting as you were introducing that, use the concept empathy, right? And, mm -hmm. and empathy from, from how I understand it is empathy is, is maybe starting with the fact that you didn't have the same experiences as the character you were playing, but you were able to hear their story 
and 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 not necessarily relate because you've been through it but you're able to hear what they went through and how they experienced what they experienced and from a from a human level you, you you're able to kind of connect with that story and that's going to bring up that natural emotion where if we have sympathy for someone we're kind of like in a position where i'm up here this isn't happening to me or i'm beyond this and i'm i'm sympathizing because something bad happened to someone. And, and if we both had the situation happen, we can identify with it, but that empathy, which it could be empathy as well, but that empathy is that I, because I've, I've never been sexually abused, but I have had clients that have been, and being able to hear their stories and, and hear the pain and hear the after story, right? That not just what happened during the time period and all the feelings that came up, but then the shame, an embarrassment or, or whatever the story was afterwards um, is almost as tragic. Kind of like this character, not only did this happen, but then she had to endure the experience of being in prison too. And then coming out as a, as a felon. And so, wow, that must've been, and you were what, 15 years old at the time? Yeah, I was, I think I was 17. I was wow. 17 and it was like, Oh man, it was a lot. It was a big, a big jump for me. <laughs> sure. Sure. Now that, and that's, so that's community theater. So then you, it was with adults as well as um, uh, young, young adults, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Nice. Okay. Well, that, that kind of like, uh, I, I think the performing arts uh, in whatever level that is, I think it does a phenomenal job, very similar to athletics, where there's stuff that will situations which can stretch us out of our comfort zone. And we can, you know, we could give up and only and maybe not push not take that challenge. Um, and but we then leave too much on the table we never really know and then if we do take a chance like you did and really try to explore that character it you kind of are forever changed in a in a good right. way right right definitely for sure so so at illinois state did you go directly from hananiga to illinois state i did not so i did two years at rock valley college okay. and i kind of got into the media program there um i had no idea what i wanted to do um i did a semester in florida for a bit um, didn't really get anything done there. <laughs> Came back to Rock Valley, um, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And I kind of stumbled across the communications classes, um, and discovered that I really enjoyed writing a lot. And so I stuck with those communications classes and I realized, um, that I was able to channel that creative, that creativity that I have and the voice that I wanted to use into my writing. And so I started taking, in my last semester there, I was still undecided. I knew I wanted to continue, but I wasn't positive. I, I knew it was something with communications. And um, I took a video production class and an audio production class, and it changed the whole game for me. I was like, oh my gosh, I wanna do something maybe on TV, maybe behind the camera. I wanna be doing something with media because I saw that it allowed people um, to have a platform to talk about the kinds of things that they were interested in um, and doing it in a way where they could bring awareness to um, the kinds of issues that needed to be talked about, like social issues, things like that. And I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and sure. so um, I got into, I, I took a like there was a little bit of journalism involved with that. Um, but I started, I had a conversation with my cousin who was actually a morning anchor for Rex actually in Rockford. 
And so she was like, well, this is kind of what journalism is. And, you know, I was thinking about it and I'm like, I could, I could totally do something like that. I want to do something like that. Um, I did my first semester at Illinois State and joined the radio station. And I was a radio DJ there and a news and sports reporter. And like, that's what kind of solidified things for me. I was like, yep, this is, this is it. Okay. <laughs> this is it. Perfect. Now you are going into your senior year. Is that right? Yes. Well, kind of, it's confusing. I'm doing, um, well, I guess it's not that confusing, but I'll be um, in my second semester of junior year this fall. Okay. Okay. And so then you'll, then you'll be graduating December of 21 ish. If yep. everything continues to go well. So, okay. Yeah. And, and so, so this is how we, so we met a few weeks ago and you're doing an internship at the local news channel, WIFR, and mm -hmm. you were doing, you were doing a spot. Now, how long is your internship last um, with the news channel? Um, about two and a half more weeks. I'm really sad about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it so much. I love it so much. And the people there are great. Okay. And you've been with uh, WIF, WIFR since, since May or since June? How long have you been with them? Since June. Yep. Since June. Okay. So it's mm -hmm. been, so, so when we met, I guess that would have been the end of June, beginning of July. So that was, so that was pretty, pretty early on in that, in that project. Mm -hmm. Or into your yep. internship for that project. Okay. So, so speaking of that was your topic was something that has, has intrigued me as, as you know, you talked earlier about wanting to, to get into a place where you could have a voice. And, mm -hmm. it, and it's been, a, you know, talk about an interesting time uh, of coming into this, right. And coming into your own age of, 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 um, being able to do this, everything from obviously the pandemic with with COVID and the pandemic, and then with with George Floyd when he died, and then the response with the Black Lives Matter, um, and, and then we all we have all this political unrest and civil unrest that's happening right now, um, and in in the midst of it, we're still trying to figure out okay how how are the schools going to come back in order, you know, uh, yeah. let alone the the lower level schools, but also at the university level. So there's Everything that was what we considered normal in in February has now really been um, has taken a spin, right? And, yeah. um, and so this is uh, this is a, a an interesting time or a good time to be. Uh, I, th I think the fact that you want to be part of having a voice, I think this is a good time because um, I think there is a lot of individuals that are. Um, maybe not necessarily trying to put light into the darkness, but they're trying to put fear, you know, um, there, you know, there's a lot of fear going on. And so it doesn't take a lot to keep that, keep that momentum going. And so I was, I was very, um, it, when you brought the topic to me about uh, the impact of social media, specifically with young adults, um, it was a much more uh, refreshing topic than the, than all the other aspects of, of gloom and doom and uh, the fear aspect of. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the segment and then we can kind of maybe use that as a springboard um, to having some conversation because that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today. Yeah, so I'll just go ahead and get into why this topic interested me and like sure. what it is. Yeah. Um, so I have noticed, obviously, you know, being on social media, growing up in the digital age, you know, our lives are so different compared to the people before us, the generations before us. And one of my friends, I was interviewing her for the story. She explained it perfectly. It's, it's great. It's amazing to have 
this feature, this tool that allows us to connect like we never have before. However, the effects of it can be debilitating and it's mainly debilitating towards young adults mentally and emotionally. And something that I hope to do is to capture a little bit about those mental and emotional effects and how we can be conscious of them moving forward as we are active um, participants on social media. Uh, you kind of notice things like um, people are posting like unrealistic uh, portrayals of their lives, like things that, you know, you and I, it's, that's not, it's not actual life. I mean, people on their Instagrams are posting their expensive vacations and, you know, going and hanging out with their large groups of friends at these really nice parties. Um, and they're getting, you know, over a thousand likes on them and you don't see any of the lows. So like our lives are, there's highs and lows, obviously with everybody, but on Instagram, you're only seeing the highs. And so what I noticed is that there's a lot of people who have a lot of anxiety just by being active on social media. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to post? Like this didn't get enough likes. I need to delete it. Or, you know, just an overall feeling of not being good enough. Um, like not measuring up to this perfect lifestyle, not getting enough likes, and then just experiencing depression and anxiety as a, resu as a result of that. Um, so my idea was like, I wanted to explore why it affects people the way it does and how we can get away from that. Um, and it, there's a lot of things that we could kind of talk about. I mean, Sure. Um, I don't know if there's anything that you wanted specifically to start with, um, but I could definitely begin um, with kind of the uh, psychological, like the physiological responses. Mm -hmm. um, what I've learned is actually a lot of people find themselves addicted to social media because they receive um, dopamine from the amount of likes that they're getting. So those likes and those comments, it's instant gratification. It feels good it sets off that dopamine pleasure sensor in your brain and you want more of it. You crave more of it. So maybe you're posting more or you're doing things um, to try and get more of that validation. Um, and this can lead to maybe even searching for the wrong kind of attention. Like women, for example, posting scandalous pictures of themselves, risque pictures of themselves, um, doing crazy things like participating in like a Tide Pod challenge where people are eating Tide Pods, oh, sure, <laughs> trying yeah. To, yeah, trying to get a lot of likes for it, uh, gain clout. Um, and like, that's, to me, that's not good. Like, that's not, it's, it leads to when you're not, and also too, if um, that that's all great and everything, if that makes you happy. Uh, however, if you aren't getting those likes, for example, um, it can lead to, I guess, just craving it, I guess. So it does kind of release or lead to depression and anxiety um, as a result of not receiving those things. So in the flip of a switch, it's, it can just turn really sour. Sure. So there's a couple of things that you said in there. And I guess the first thought that popped in my head was I could definitely see without a doubt that when you, when a person is receiving either direct or indirect praise, right? There's going to be a response of affirmation and in that validation affirmation and that's going to release dopamine because that's a feel-good thing right and so mm -hmm. it, i see that makes sense of of how that happens and it's kind of like 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 you were talking earlier about being in theater there's a there's an aspect that 
uh, like I was performance as, as an athlete, there was an element of performance that was reinforced based upon how uh, my teammates responded, how the crowd responded regarding whatever activity I was involved with. And that allowed me to continue to work hard to get the same kind of response. This is obviously much more immediate than competing in bodybuilding once a year or uh, playing football once a week or whatever it may be. So that makes sense, the physiological aspect of it. I also think about um, a slot machine. You know, the idea or the possibility of this working and winning, I'm already going to get adrenaline and dopamine that's coming. And then if it does hit, then it's even bigger. But then if I find myself losing, then it's going to it's going to cause the other thing, let alone the consequences, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you said something, said something earlier, and I don't think this is just a young person's, maybe young people are more susceptible because they've grown up with a, meaning young people, meaning like, uh, you know, teens all the way into, you know, mid twenties or whatever. But I do think this element of wanting to be affirmed and wanting to be validated, I don't think that has an age limit. I think no, that, not at all. that that goes, you know, um, all the way through. But I'm curious about why do you think, and, and maybe, so I'll, I'll throw, it this, throw it out this way. Why do you think in general, this is a generalization, why do you think in general people either are posting really these almost what it, what appears to be not real, super glamorous, super maybe even staged poses and different things like that on one end. So this glamorous over here, or it's the worst thing in the world over here. It seems like there's these two extremes, obviously more of the, look how great my life is. Um, why do you think there is not um, people talking more about what do you what do you think there's a uh, it seems like there's a resistance to talking about that i that I got third place and even though I was going for first place why do you think there's this resistance to i don't know what what do you think like like okay i think I think what I'm getting from that is like why is there this fear of it um yeah. I honestly think a lot of it has to do with um the amount of social pressure that's involved with Instagram, Twitter, et cetera. It's, um, I think, you know, naturally as people are aging, they obviously are looking around at what their peers are doing and they're comparing themselves. And I think on social media, that's definitely intensified. And so I think that there is this underlying um, pressure to live up to these expectations that Instagram places on you. Um, or that their friends are even placing on them. Like, why did you post that? Like, that's that doesn't fit the expectations. So they feel the need to try and measure up. Um, I think that there is also a little bit too. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if this has anything. I, I've wrestled with this a little bit. Um, if it's because my generation specifically grew up on social media. And we've always seen these unrealistic portrayals. I mean, we've seen YouTubers from the beginning showing these really fancy lives, like with their cars and, you know, how much money they're paying for things and their mansions and these unrealistic expectations for people like me, for example. Um, And so there's this uh, need to replicate, um, this need to measure up. 
this need to chase clout to get validation. Um, and something that I kind of realized, I was like, wow, I mean, I think that a lot of people, instead of as we're growing, it's nor I think it's healthy for us to build this sense of self-worth and this sense of self-esteem within us. Um, however, being on social media, I think a lot of that is determined based off of the interactions that you're getting with your posts. So the validation that you're receiving, it's, it's fulfilling for a second, but then like it, it's, it's really empty and it kind of just, it, it really does enhance the insecurity um, within our generation. Like it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird. It's a really odd dynamic. And I've continuously try to pay attention to it. Cause I just want to know the answers. Like why, mm -hmm. why is our worth and our, why is our worth determined off of the validation that we're getting from people that we don't know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I know from, from, from psychology, there's a concept we talk about social learning and the concept of social learning is <clears throat> that um, we learn, um, we, we learn about who we are or how we fit into the world, our, our own personal little bubble of the world based upon what's being reflected back to us. And so, you know, if, if, if I'm, and I remember this in my case, I remember this clearly. Um, I've mentioned the story before where I, w I went to a middle school that was sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And in sixth grade, it, I, you know, they didn't have sports there at in sixth grade. And I just did my, you know, did school, did whatever, and then went home. Um, and then in seventh grade, because I started lifting weights that summer and had a growth spurt, then all of a sudden I became really good at, it was football that I was getting ready for. And I became captain of the team on a seventh and eighth grade team. And now all of a sudden I was noticed by the guys and popular with the guys because of athletics, which then led to being popular with girls. And I had no clue what happened. Absolutely no clue. But I know for sure I didn't want to go away. But I never thought that it had really to do with me. I thought it, I made the connection that it had to do with performance. And, and, I, and I imagine that that would have been, if that would have happened and it would have been tied into some level of social media, then I would have put the, I, I wouldn't have necessarily that my esteem or how I viewed myself would have increased. It would have been more based upon this activity um, and so it would have been very fragile. And it was for me for a long time, very, very, a very um, uh, uh, conditional um, regard or traditional esteem that had to do with performance and had to do with, you know, lifting weights, all those types of things. And um, so it was a very interesting time period growing up in that, which in some ways led me to being a state and national championship as a bodybuilder, but it also led to a lot of, um, a lot of other problems later on. So I can, I can, I can, and that was in the eighties. So that was way pre, you know, pre social media or anything like that. Um, and I remember one time as a school social worker, I was working at Harlem and this was right. That transition between MySpace and Facebook was coming out. And I was working with this young person. I believe he was in middle school at the time. 
kind of a shy, shy individual. He, you know, he had a tendency to tell stories that may not have necessarily been based in reality. And he was telling me that um, he, in, in school, he didn't really socialize a lot, even though he wanted to, he was just having difficulties, kind of socially awkward. Um, but at the same time, his, he wasn't open to a lot of input. So it's a lot of coaching wasn't open to that, but he, I remember him telling me he had, I don't know, like 10,000 friends on this mm -hmm. thing called Facebook. And I'm like, what do you mean you have 10,000 friends? He goes, no, I have 10,000 friends. And he would go and um, request friend requests. That's what he would do at night, constantly friend requests because he wanted his number friend numbers to get as high as possible now granted this was you know this was in the early 2000s when my when facebook first started coming out um but that was the first experience that i had as a professional with this distortion of there was these online friends but they weren't necessarily uh people that he knew in real life Mm -hmm. and, and there was some type of uh, false sense of validation or false sense of um, that, that I'm okay through that. But it was, again, I don't think it ever, there was never enough. There was never enough. So do you think, my question is, do you think that that stems from that validation? Like, oh, like I, I, I feel a sense of importance on this but there's an issue with not maybe defining that within yourself before all of that. So maybe there's, um, you're seeing more detrimental trends like depression and anxiety. Have you ever seen that as like well, an issue? Well, I think, I think it's probably a combination of things. I, I think um, kind of like in my case, it, you know, I recognize the transition from being invisible, which I didn't recognize at the time to being visible I only knew I was invisible when I became visible, right? And so, so it, it, it there was that aspect of a transition, <clears throat> but I connected it to this activity, and so that I leaned heavily into this activity to make sure I stayed visible, right? And mm -hmm. and I and and I know that there was different time periods in my life where either because of an injury or because of whatever that was happening with the body distortion, um, body image distortion, that my mood would, would go up or go down based upon um, what I thought I saw in the mirror. And, and I imagine there's an element of that happening with, or, or an amplification of that with with now with social media, because that was just all in my head and the small, you know, limited amount of people that I could see on a, on a physically see on a daily basis. I can't imagine for people that are posting it on a social media and potentially have, you know, hundreds of uh, affirmation or validation or the lack of. So I think that idea, like I was talking with someone that, if there is this average um, response of let's say 300 likes and then all of a sudden I post a picture and it only gets 50 likes, well, what's wrong with the picture? What's wrong with me? What's so, so, yeah. so tell me a little, why do you, what, well, I think this idea that it, it reinforces so much, right? So that we, and, and it's always about kind of ex trying to ascend 
keep on ascending, you know, more of that feeling. So there's never a time period for setbacks. Mm -hmm. What do you, what would you say from, from the best you could assess? What do you think is the reason that there's a, maybe a, an avoidance, um, avoidance of talking about setbacks like that vulnerability that comes with talking about setbacks, like, uh, um, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you had your heart, you know, maybe vocal, maybe outwardly as well, or, or silently, you had your heart set on a certain part in a musical and you, you, you practice really hard, you really push for it, but then it was given to someone else. Um, it seems like that's not okay to talk about either one putting putting it out there that you really want that part or two, letting anyone know that you were disappointed or sad about not getting it. What, what do you think is the reason that's that that's, people don't talk about those things on social yeah, media? Um, yeah. I think it, because um, I know I've talked to a couple of my friends about it. Cause that was actually something that I had asked in the interview. It was like, why do you think that we can't be vulnerable on social media? What is it that prevents us from being vulnerable on social media. And I think a lot of it is the expectations that come with it. And just nobody else is posting those things. So it's like, well, I don't want to be that person that posts it and nobody else is posting it. Um, that insecurity. And also, I know that a couple of my friends have said, well, I don't want to make it seem like I'm begging for attention mm-hmm. to these people. And then I was like, well, you know, I, when I'm talking with my friends about something and I have like, you know, a small, I have a separate account, which was kind of what I got into. It's like why we can't be vulnerable on social media. So we have alternative accounts where we can be vulnerable on social media, but it's only to a small group of friends. So on your main account, you have like 10,000 followers or however many followers you have, but it's a large amount. And then on your Finsta or your alternative account where you can pretty much post whatever you want without judgment, usually only has a following of about 50 to 70 people. But on there, you can post whatever it is that your heart desires and not feel judged by it because you're also surrounded by a community of people who are doing the same things. So it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of it has to do with the numbers. Like I don't want all of these on my main account. It's more of like a business professional account, but I'm not going to go on there and talk about, you know, you know, I was really sad the other night and I've gained a lot of weight and, you know, I didn't decide to go work out, but I decided to stay in and eat ice cream on the sofa and, you know, I'm upset, but I'm doing that kind of ranting on my alternative account. I would not post that on my main account for 10,000 people to see. I just wouldn't feel comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder if it's, if it's the amount of people maybe that you don't know um, that prevents you from being vulnerable with them. If there's this, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe just, a, you don't know all of those people personally. So when you are being, when you are sharing intimate details of your life, you don't want to share it to people that you don't know. Um, but it creates the superficiality of social media <laughs> because we can't, we can't be vulnerable. Um, and, you know, Instagram has said multiple things about how they understand um, that they are detrimental or threatening to people's mental health. And so they're doing things, um, they're putting measures in place to make people um, less susceptible to experiencing poor mental health from using the app. 
but they haven't said anything about what they would do. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I thought too, maybe you can also relate also on, on Facebook when you had mentioned, um, when you post a picture and you're getting an average about 300 likes per picture, and then you have that one picture that only gets 50 likes and maybe it was a little bit more of a vulnerable post. Um, what do you think about taking the numbers away? Hmm. What you know, it's that's interesting. Is would would people utilize the app as much if the numbers weren't there, right? And in in what you know, so that that brings up a good point. So what? So when I if I scroll through Instagram or Facebook or whatever, let's say just those two, and I hit the like button, right? What's the reason why I'm doing it? You know, yeah. I mean, so, so what I think I'm doing is, so I may hit like, because it's a friend of mine's daughter's birthday, though I don't know her personally. So I don't say happy birthday, Julie, right? I just mm -hmm. like, you know, the mom's picture of her saying happy birthday, right? So it's like, I'm acknowledging, I'm recognizing, you know, aspect of it. And is that then, is that somehow then important for the person then to look how many people affirmed my daughter's post uh, or me posting about my daughter? It definitely seems to go both ways, right? So it's a way for me without saying anything or doing anything. It's a, it's a gesture of saying happy birthday to my friend's daughter without even typing it in. Um, and it's also then a way for them to get affirmed for her birthday. I don't mm -hmm. think there's anything wrong with any of that. You know, I mean, that's nice to say happy birthday to somebody and all that. Except if last year I had 300 likes and this year I only had 102. Does that mean that I'm, so it's that comparison thing that, that, that we run the risk of um, anytime we're looking at that, it's kind of like looking at, uh, you know, getting on the bathroom scale every day. There's psychologically, that's a, it's a very slippery slope if you're always weighing yourself. Um, uh, and it, and, and why would you need to weigh yourself every day? Right. I mean, it's um, mm -hmm. what, what's the benefit of weighing yourself every day, anyways right so i think it, it we run the, we run that risk um uh, of uh, of because i think there is a psychological piece that ties into it because it's it's a reinforcing loop i i may have even as, as you were talking i th may have even had a thought about why we wouldn't because we don't want people to feel sorry for us right mm -hmm. we, we put something out there and it doesn't make sense i would never encourage anyone to if they're not prepared to expose themselves to 10,000 people following them, in other words, if you're going to share something and you haven't done your work around that, whatever you're going to share, you should definitely share that in a very much smaller group of people that you're going to, that, that actually know you and you know them. Because if you put it out there in front of two, you know, people that you don't really know, it's, it's, it's too much of a, I think celebrities and uh, politicians, they deal with this all the time. Of, mm -hmm. You know, always somebody making comment or criticizing um, of, of what they may be doing. Right. Right. So I, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say that that's kind of exactly it. Like, I think it's that, uh, foundation, um, or no, not foundation. That's the wrong word. Um, that desire to chase clout, like mm -hmm. where your self-importance and your worth is determined based off of, you know, your social media posts, <laughs> but yeah. So, so when you use the word clout, cause you, that's like two or three times you've said that. So what, so for some of the listeners, they may not be familiar with that terminology that comes with, I'm assuming social media. Uh, so what, what say, say that again, what clout means? Clout is similar to fame, like where you're chasing, okay. you're, you're chasing validation at its core. I mean, you're some kind of importance, like, um, trying to think of like an example I could use this in. I was just talking about this the other day with a, a YouTuber um, who I'm not super fond of, but I'm like, he's just a clout chaser. And I meant it like, he's just, he's just looking for attention. Like he'll do anything if it means that he can get any kind of attention, good or bad. It just yeah. gets him that attention. So it's interesting when you just talked about that. So I think you said you were listening to a guest that I had on a couple a couple weeks ago, Greg Yokely, and I was asking Greg what what projects was he working on right now, and 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 he you know he talked about the project he's working on, but he he said because he usually talks about um, uh, wanting to you know be involved with some you know uh, like injustices of the world and things like that. And he said at, at that particular time when, when it was just really heating up the beginning of the, the responses to Floyd's death, he said, I, I don't need to jump on this bandwagon. I don't need, I think he used, I could be wrong, but I think he used the, the terminology uh, cultural vulture. And he goes, I don't need to jump on this because people are already talking about it. I want to talk about the things that people don't want to talk about. That's what I want to do a film about that. Or, And so he goes, I have to be careful not to jump on something that's already like everyone's already jumping on type of type of aspect of it and, and talk about the things that seem to be hiding in the shadows, but still having a lot of fuel. And um, it, it sounds like sometimes uh, that certain social media influencers are really just riding certain waves and maybe not putting out really content of looking underneath the rock about why, uh, why are things really happening and what, and, and most importantly, what can we do about that? One thing that really, um, one thing that really has stood out to me in the midst of everything going on in the world is these, you know, these YouTubers or these influencers who have a huge following with so many people watching them and um, they aren't saying anything about what's going on. Like they are not using their, I had, I've said previously, you know, if I were lucky enough to get a platform, I would want to use it to talk about the social issues that people are uncomfortable talking about because it deserves awareness. You know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, Corona, um, political things that are going on right now, uh, they are pretending like it's not even happening. Mm. It's, and like to me, I have a moral conflict with that because it's like you have a big following and you're able to reach so many people like this is like you you have a voice so right. use it and they're not right. yeah. and it's that's interesting to me side so, note <laughs> so so Zoe are you saying that they've gone like silence like they pulled themselves off or have they just avoided avoided any of those topics and they just are doing their own whatever content it is 
they're sticking with their own content. I haven't gotcha. seen any social media users actually sign off. Um, I, you know, some have said something, but I think that, you know, what we're going through in the world right now requires activism and like mm. being an activist, you have to constantly put in work and, you know, yes, that might not be their passion. Maybe their passion is, you know, putting out the content that they want and that's it. But it almost feels like a societal duty True. to get on social media and talk about it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think you're right. I mean, social media, obviously, like many things, you know, is, is here and it's not going to, it's not going to go away. It, there's too many benefits of it, even though there are definitely downsides to it and it's too entrenched within our culture. So it's going to, it's going to be there. And so I think one of the things that we can do is have, have conversations, how it can be used in a life-giving way instead of, uh, it's instead of a, like a negative reinforcing loop, right? And, and meaning that I'm constantly chasing external validation to try to feel better about myself internally. Um, because I know for me, I I have to try to. It's it's kind of like when this all started happening with, when COVID first hit, I you know I, there was fear, uh, fear of the unknown, fear of how is this going to impact the people that work for me at the at the different companies? How am I going to? How's it going to impact my clients and stuff? And so, it, let alone personally, how are things going to be? But I knew. I don't do well if I'm constantly in that, in that fear mode. And so I, I had to look for uh, what opportunities are going to come up in the midst of this chaos. And, and so a lot of the stuff that I had been working on prior to COVID um, different, different aspects of stoicism, um, learning how that kind of like we said earlier, the obstacles that are in our way can be teachers and opportunity for, the next awakening. And, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, I think this with a, with a social media, like, so I'm, I'm, we don't have any, like at KP counseling, um, we don't have any, um, budget for marketing. I don't do any branding. I don't, I, I, I do branding, but I don't do any, um, dollars amount to do any, uh, still ads or anything like that. And we don't do anything on boosting any of any social media sites or anything like that. Um, but I, consistently through a scheduled time throughout the week, I'm putting stuff out on social media sites or accepting opportunities to do interviews or do talks or whatever it may, may be. And they're all stories about, uh, we never talk about counseling and we don't very seldom even talk about mental illness, but we talk about um, just everyday reflections of how do you see things from a different perspective? How do you, um, uh, or I talk about myself, talk about my own reflection of something that may have gone on. Um, uh, and, and I think that's one of the ways that for me, like, all right, how could I utilize this to be a light in the darkness instead of contributing to the darkness? Right. Right. So, so if you had the, and so this is going to kind of put you out there a little bit. Okay. So if, if you had like a, if we had a magic wand and you had a wish regarding using uh, social media as a platform, what would the, the wish would be to do what with the platform or how would you want to utilize the platform? Um, I definitely want to advocate for sexual assault. Like that's something that I feel very passionately about. And we kind of re referenced it a little earlier um, at the time when I was doing the Spitfire Grill, um, 
I hadn't been sexually abused. And then when I was in college, I experienced, unfortunately, a date rape. And so it changed my whole perspective on victim blaming, <laughs> sexual assault survivals, um, survival stories, and survivors in general. And so if I had a big platform, I would definitely advocate for um, those people who experience the shame and the guilt and everything that comes with, um, I guess, the trauma of experiencing rape and uh, use my voice to help women come forward, like help women feel like they're in a safe space to talk about what happened and that things are going to be okay. Um, I also too, uh, you know, I definitely consider myself a feminist, but a lot of people get it twisted. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, if you're a feminist, then that means, you know, it's women above all else. And like, that's not it. I think that as a woman, um, as someone who's black, as someone who, you know, is Mexican or a different race other than white, um, anybody who identifies as part of the LGBTQ plus community is a minority. Like we are still oppressed in the society. And um, as a feminist, you're fighting for equality. So if I were to have a big platform, I would use my voice to fight for equal rights, for sure. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let me... Well, if there's something that you would say, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not okay with talking about that. Feel free. That's, I'm very okay with that. Um, what do you think going with a, and I'm sorry to hear that what happened to you when you were in college. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. To say that it sucks is, is just an understatement. So, but um, what, what do you think is the reason the victim, sh you said victim shaming. What, so tell me, that's what it sounds like that you experienced some of that. So what do you think, not only did it, what did it, what it was that like being on the receiving end of that, but then if you had any thoughts about why do people do that? What's, what's the motive behind someone doing that? Um, I'm locked and loaded <laughs> ready for this question. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I've been through a lot of therapy to be able to answer this. No, I'm just joking. But <laughs> which is which is um, not which is not a bad thing, right? <laughs> this is how, no, this is what this is what we call doing our work. So <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I definitely think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we live in a rape rape accepting society where we place the blame on the victim instead of actually holding responsibility or accountability for the perpetrator. So you know, telling women before they go out that they need to watch their drinks, that they need to watch what they wear, they need to watch what they say um because men can't help themselves that's wrong in itself i mean we have rape education where we're teaching women how to protect themselves from rape instead of actually teaching men not to rape i mean how backwards is that <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah very much so so then so then the shaming aspect of it comes as a result of that same same kind of mentality of that, well, you didn't follow the protocol, you weren't safe enough. Like, what part did you contribute to this, that type of thing? Yeah, um, and are you asking like, kind of like my reactions to, to people who are kind of like that, or? Or, or maybe maybe more for, first, one, I'm wondering, as you've processed it yourself, right? So, so, so here's the crazy thing, right? That, that it sounds like happened. Not only did the assault happen, right? And, and the betrayal and all, and the trauma that happened there, but then the afterwards, right, was then the second trauma that happened with people then somehow, uh, well, so how that happens, Zoe, like, as if, 
like you contributed to it, right? Mm-hmm. And and so part of what I guess I was just asking regarding that is because so a lot of times somebody may be listening and they may have found themselves asking those questions. You know, they didn't necessarily mean to shame somebody, but that is what ended up happening because we don't recognize that we're being offensive. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like the talk I had with Greg is that, you know, I don't view myself as a, as a racist in definition of what Kevin thinks a racist is, but I know out of ignorance, I've been racially offensive. And I know I've been offensive toward, you know, other, other things that aren't Kevinism. You know what I mean? That isn't mm-hmm. my own, my own experience. Right. So I was just curious about from, for you, as you've tried to process, why would someone do this to you when they know what's already been done to you? Meaning the, the shaming piece. Um, you know, I just remember, um, one of the big things for like in my situation was, you know, people who are like, well, why didn't you just leave? And my justification was always, you know, I think that we have different responses to things, you know, you, there's fight or flight, but then nobody talks about how you freeze in a traumatic situation or you detach. And at the time, you know, I thought the safest option for me was to freeze, like not do anything like to take it and then leave because I felt like that was the safest option. (laughs) Um, and I think that, uh, you know, when I, it was a really emotional thing to, to tell my parents for sure, sure, because I think even if I were to put myself in their shoes and I was a parent and I was hearing it, that would be really difficult information to hear. Um, and I remember my dad, like out of ignorance had said like, well, why didn't she just leave? Why didn't she just get up and go? And I remember just being like, like it felt like he just kind of knocked the wind out of me. And my brother had kind of said something similar too. Well, you should have just gotten up and left. Like if that were me, I would have just gotten up and left. Like at that point, like, it doesn't even feel like, okay, I don't want to tell anyone anymore. (laughs) I mean, it hurts. It hurts worse because you're opening up about a traumatic situation and people are kind of like giving you like that side eye. Well, I guess you kind of just walked into that one. Like you were asking for it. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not that shaming. I guess that shaming to, to feel that. Um, And I guess like the question, the question is like, why does it happen? Or is it kind of just like, is I just want to redirect it because I'm going on a tangent now. (laughs) No, 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 no. But I think that's a great example about how someone who has experienced in this case, specifically sexual sexual trauma, how a person's comments out of out of ignorance may not they may not even maliciously try to shame you right some people do mm-hmm. some people are maliciously you know oh look at what you, you see what you were wearing that night i mean they're you know they may be making those comments but and not that that's any more obviously any more appropriate because it doesn't matter what a person wears that's not an invitation um but out of ignorance someone may like like at that moment, your dad says that and your brother says that, um, why didn't you leave? Where if, if, if you were in the office and I was working with you, I would want to unpack with Zoe, let's say three years after it happened, what was the, the Zoe of three years ago? What was the reason she didn't feel she could leave? Because it's important for the Zoe of today to know why Zoe couldn't leave then 
because Zoe today might make different choices. Mm -hmm. And and because one, she's going to be different. She's going to be prepared differently. She's, you know, she's already gone through that experience or maybe you wouldn't do anything differently because you, yeah, who knows? We don't know because that's the, I think that's one of the things that we all, I, I would not know at all what I would do in that situation in in spite of being a guy in spite of being you know all these things i don't know what i would do i'd like to tell you i know what i would do but i don't know what i would do because i haven't been in that situation um and especially i haven't been in that situation when i was 20 years old or whatever you know in college um what how did well so this happened a few years ago so what how did you uh, what are some things that you've done for yourself to kind of work through that? Obviously you've done some counseling and reframing it and some therapy with that, but what are the things have you done so that you can uh, be a voice on another side of it? So it, it's funny. Cause I think that when you, um, when you experience something traumatic, uh, you know, definitely gives you a, a little fuel to your fire. Like, sure. yes, I have a reason to advocate now. Um, after everything's all said and done after you all like after you deal with it. I mean, it took me months to even come out of like a period of denial. I think it was like nine months before I was even like, Oh, why am I so afraid to like live my life right now and go out? And then, you know, what happened to me in my specific situation was I kind of just um, repressed everything and told myself that even though I knew that it happened, I just told myself that I didn't. And so um, after you know, those things always come up. <laughs> they bubble to the surface and yeah. yep. The universe is like, you're going to, I'm going to give you a little vibe check and you're going to have to deal with this. And yeah. so, yeah. um, that was when I had gone to therapy and I'm still in therapy. Like I, I still go to therapy. Um, I am working on trying to build an internal sense of self-worth, um, which actually ties into the social media conversation that we're having. Um, I took a break from social media because I would see things on there. Um, I would see things from people, you know, that I knew who knew the person who was the perp and I had to get off for a bit. And that helps like a social media cleanse um, just to get my thoughts and my emotions in order going to therapy. And um, I do a little bit of meditation now. I will admit that I, and very unfocused all the time. So it's hard for me to stay committed to meditation, but I do try. I do try. I'm up to five minutes right now where I can like do it. There you um, go. Yeah. So meditation. And um, for me, uh, I'm getting to a point now where I'm ready to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to, um, I'm not ready to go into, you know, like everything that happened to me. Like I don't want to share my intimate experience of what happened, but I want to, I'm getting to a point now where I'm even comfortable saying that I experienced something traumatic and even saying too, like, I'm, I know what that's like. And I want to help other people who, you know, unfortunately have worse, worse circumstances than, you know, I do maybe who don't have the option to go to therapy or, um, you know, where they are fearing for their lives because they're continuously abused by their abuser. Right. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think, um, you know, I, I don't think at any point, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. I think in most cases, 
you, a, a person who's been traumatized doesn't have to necessarily go over all the specific details of what the trauma is, except that it's already been stated, as you've stated. And then, because I don't know if it, it, it was an incident that happened in your life. It's a part of the story. It's not your whole story. And, and that, that thing, that trauma that happened was just a part of that aspect of that story. And, and being, able, being able to go and talk about what was the, the story you told yourself afterwards, that, you know, I think that's the stuff that we need to have conversations about and bring that part to the light. I agree with you. I, I, you said something earlier that I, I've been running men's groups since the early, early 90s. And in those men's, men's group, we, we talk about the responsibility as a man. You have a responsibility to not only discipline and control yourself mentally, verbally, as well as physically, but you don't have a right to use your power or strength to dominate someone, especially in a sexual way, especially in, in um, or in a manipulative way in an emotional aspect in a relationship. And so we, we do spend time talking that there's nothing about that or objectifying, um, objectifying someone. There's nothing okay about that because you'd be, meaning someone in my group, they'd be the first ones to be offended if that was done to their wife or their, their daughter or their mother or someone like that. So, but I agree with you, that is not, um, that was not what I was taught growing up. Um, and, and that was not what was reinforced until it was a, a specific um, initiative that I got involved with um, in the early 90s, which was the men's work in men's psychology. Um, so, so when you, and I think, you know, I started a, a program called Shatter Our Silence uh, four years ago. And one of the things that we, we identified as the factors that lead to that darkness in our lives. One of them was identified as not only bullying, which could be that victim shaming they're talking about, but then sexual assault itself and, and the body image um, and body image that, that may play a part in it. And it's, it's always the shame and the silence that comes around the shame um, that, that tends to lead to that darkness. It, it's, it's, it's almost less about the event and it's more about our response to the event that, that leads to that going to that darkness and then all the stories that we tell ourselves, And then we hear if someone even alludes to it. Um, and I do think that, that um, as, as individuals uh, do their work, as you do your work around this, um, I think you're, your time to have a platform. Maybe this was the beginning of it, um, but being able to share not the details of your experience, but more importantly, what you learned from it and what you learned um, that you want to share with other people about, about that. So with, with that, let me, so this might be a tough question. So if there was something so let's say there's someone listening right now that has had some type of traumatic assault or something happened to them. What would you want them? What would you want them to hear? What would you want them to know? Um, you know, as cliche as it sounds, um, you're not alone. I think that uh, I remember when I first read that statement and I was like, yeah, I know. 
like at the time I was like, yeah, I know I'm not alone. I know there's so many people who survive sexual assault. Um, but after I gotten past that, I guess that anger, <laughs> um, it was like, wow, yeah, other people are experiencing this and like other people are getting through this. And um, I think that if, you know, if someone is listening, it's more, yeah, I, I would say you're not alone and there are resources to help. You know, there's ways to get the kind of justification that you're looking for, um, whether that's convicting your rapist, whether that's getting help to cope with what happened to you, um, even if it's just to talk to someone who also experienced something similar to attend a group situation, anything, they have resources available um, to help you with those things. And it does get better. It definitely does get better. And another thing too, that I think I would add is um, I'm a big believer in that everything happens for a reason. And so when that experience happened to me, I was like, it crushed, it crushed that like that philosophy that I live by. Cause I'm like, I don't think that I'm a person that deserved to be raped. I'm just not, I don't think anybody deserves to be raped. Right. Um, however, there is a silver lining that you walk away with this sense of internal resilience that you didn't have before, that you are going to look at things differently and that you have the opportunity to impact other people as you move forward. Um, it's definitely a symbol of strength. Um, you know how to deal with things, you're better, better equipped um, to be more empathetic towards other people. Um, there's this sense of humanity, I guess, humanity and compassion that kind of shines through even in a horrible, horrible traumatic situation, there's a silver lining. And even though it might feel very dark and miserable right now, it's not always going to feel like that. Right. Well, thank you, Zoe, for, I mean, sharing. And, and, and I know that when we first talked about talking today, we had no idea this was at all yeah, where right? we were going to go. <laughs> um, but I, I do think, you know, just like this topic we talked about today was the idea of the negative impact of social media. Um, the positive aspects of what social media can do is it can, uh, that there may be a message out there that someone might come across and, and go, okay, so, you know, Zoe looks like a, or, you know, someone that I can relate to or, or, or I want to learn more about what Zoe's doing now so that I can then maybe I can do something similar. And I think that element of being able to, um, regardless of what our experience has been, how do we take our, take our story and move it forward for the greater good of humanity instead of this dividing and 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 separating always and creating these tribes uh, of good and bad uh, i know i feel strongly about that topic of there is a responsibility primarily males are the perpetrator in these sexual assaults and there and and primarily females are the victims um there's a responsibility for us as males that it's not okay, that in any way that it's reinforced, that's, that's not okay. And so how do we be a voice around that, let alone to be empath empathetic and, um, and it be a safe space for people who have been victimized, male or female, um, that have been victimized. But, and I think social media, if we're intentional about it, we can get that message out that it isn't, because the, the reality is, it's, the funny thing is, is right, 
you said you said something about last time you kind of educated me on these finstas right which is more likely to be the true person that who they really are and then the the poplar one right is the one that's not so true i imagine most people actually believe that they actually know that the one that's all when the pictures are posed and when the pictures are very uh, done in a certain lighting and everything, most likely no one really believes it's all that the picture beholds. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, so it, it'll be, it'll be good if more people will be able to uh, speak their truth, but there's going to take some vulnerability to that. And mm -hmm. we need to do our work to be able to do that. So, so Zoe, yeah. as we get ready to wrap up, if there was one thing that you wanted to leave people who are listening, uh, besides that they're not alone, if someone's been hurt, uh, what would you want to leave, leave people with? Um, I guess just stay true to who you are. I mean, I think that, you know, in the midst of this conversation about social media um, raises the responsibility to be authentic and not for other people, I think for ourselves. Um, I think that we live a life of unfulfillment and unhappiness when we aren't staying true to ourselves, when we broadcast ourselves on social media. Um, for all of these people, I mean, just do your thing. <laughs> just do your thing. And honestly, if you keep doing your thing and you keep taking risks and you're open to new things, like opportunities are going to find you and you never know like what kinds of opportunities are going to find you. Um, but I think that that really all starts with being authentic. You know, I, when you just said that, and um, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, when they were in uh, uh, Star is Born, and Bradley Cooper's character is telling Lady Gaga um, something to the effect of, if you don't sing the song that's in your own heart, they're going to see through it and they're going to eat you alive. Mm -hmm. And and you and we see in that movie she fell into that trap of of not singing her own song but singing what uh, was going to make her popular, mm -hmm. and um and I think that just reminded me of what you were just talking about of of singing your own heart song and finding your own heart song first and then singing that um, and being true to that because then that'll be well, a song worth listening to or a story worth listening to. So, Zoe, yeah. thank you very much. Good luck um, in the- Thank you so much. You have three semesters left, right? Did I count? Yes. Right? Yes, three semesters yes. left. And and then a couple more weeks at uh, Channel 23. So um, by the time this gets aired, it, it may, you may already be done getting ready to go back to school. So, um, well, again, thank you very much for being on here. And thank you very much for being as transparent as you were today and being able to have the courage to share and be an example for people who've been hurt on um, one way that you can start um, start the healing process. Thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity. I appreciate it. No problem. I had a good time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk to you soon. And then we'll All have right. to hear, hear how everything goes as you finish up with Illinois State and you'll have to come back and we'll hear, hear some more adventures that you've been on. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.